Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. invite you to take your copies of the scripture with me and open to the book of Galatians chapter 6. This morning we are in verses 11 through 18. Galatians chapter 6. And it is the last sermon for now, the last sermon on the book of Galatians. So we've made it all the way through, through a pandemic, various other obstacles, but we've made it to the end of Galatians, and Lord willing, we will finish that today. And it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet. For me, I've loved going through the book of Galatians, uh, but I'm glad that we're to the end at the same time. I'm glad that God has been faithful to us to make it all the way through, but how much he has taught us and how great is his word and how it never fails and how he has taught us through it to fight for the gospel, to stand on the gospel, hold firm to the gospel, and to never move away from the gospel. So would you stand with me this morning as we read the final verses of Galatians, Galatians 6. 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is to those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear what your Spirit 
will say to us, your church, through your holy word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had to get someone's attention? They were maybe unaware of something that was about to happen to them. They were oblivious to the fact that maybe they were in danger or just even in the way of something that was going on. You see this vividly when you think of caring for children. As a parent, you try to think ahead of what, how you can shield your child so that they might not put themselves in harm's way. Try to baby-proof or toddler-proof your home. There are other times, though, when you are watching them, that you need to get their attention. They are unaware of the danger they are in and how they have put themselves in this injurious position where they could be harmed. Not only do you need to get their attention, you need to get their attention quickly. It is urgent. Time is of the essence. The more time passes, the more likely they will end up being hurt. If they don't, if they don't move, there will be consequences. So, for example, what do you do if you see your child in the road and there's a car coming down that road? As you're running toward them, you're at the same time yelling, Get out of the road! Move! Come here! No parent leaves their child in harm's way. This is why Paul is writing to the Galatian churches and telling them to fight for the gospel. If they neglect the gospel, if they turn to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all, they are in danger. It will injure them. It will hurt and harm them. And the danger is not merely temporal. It's not merely here and now. It's eternal destruction. That is why this fight for the gospel in the church is so urgent. It cannot and must not be delayed. It must not be downplayed or thought to be insignificant. Fighting for the gospel is absolutely necessary for the church, and we must see that we need to keep on fighting for the gospel. The threats to change or distort the gospel or modify the gospel will continue to come one after another. The same heresies, just dressed in different clothing, will continue to threaten the church and attack the very heart of the church, which is the gospel. Each generation will have to fight for this gospel. Children, young adults, I'm talking to you. You must believe the gospel, and then you must fight for the gospel. Fight because it is true. Fight because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Fight for it because people need God. Fight for it because Satan is trying to extinguish the light of the gospel with all of his might. Fight for the gospel because God's glory is at stake. 
If the gospel is toppled, everything else in the church crumbles as well. So let us not think that this is just the last sermon on the book of Galatians, that we have learned all that we will need to learn. Let us not think that we have mastered what it means to fight for the gospel and now we can move on to other things. In a sense, we've gone through Galatians and been encouraged to keep on fighting, to not stop fighting, and so now the fight doesn't end but begins. We will have to draw on these truths time and time and time again in the church. They are not truths that we merely know. They are truths that we love and seek to live by with all of our hearts. Galatians is a unique letter by Paul in that at the beginning, he quickly gets to the problem. He's astonished that the Galatians are so quickly deserting God who called them in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. If it's unique at the beginning, it's no less unique at the end. Sometimes when you get to the end of one of Paul's letters, he makes specific addresses to specific people within the church, or he might inform them of his own condition or of his travel plans. But with the seriousness of the gospel at stake, there is no time for any of these. No, Paul has one last chance to get their attention. If all that he has already said wasn't enough, he makes one last urgent plea to them. And we see this in verse 11. Paul usually uses what is called an amanuensis. Amanuensis is like a scribe. So Paul would be saying his letter and someone else would be, would be writing it down. You'd find an ex example of that in the book of Romans 16.22. But Paul now, in the book of Galatians, in this last paragraph, takes up the pen himself. He sits down behind the writing desk. He has to make a change. He has to get their attention. He has to wake them up to the seriousness of what he has been talking about. Paul is saying, this is my own handwriting. I am writing this now. I have sat down. I have taken the time to write this to you. Make no mistake about the seriousness of my tone and the seriousness of the situation in which you find yourselves in. And then he says, see with what large letters I am writing to you. Why did Paul write with such large letters? One commentator suggests that Paul wrote with large letters like you would for a young child. Paul, with his large letters then, is saying, you are too immature for me to write normally for you. I have to write in big block letters to bring it down to your level so that you can get it, so that you can understand if this is true, it wasn't to the Galatians' credit, it would be to their shame. You lack so much understanding, Galatians, that I have to write like a kindergartner for you. While such a thought is interesting, most agree that Paul's writing with large letters is for emphasis. He's writing with large letters to get their attention. It's as if 
Paul is writing in all caps. What do you think if someone writes in all caps? Ever get a text like that? Someone wrote in all caps? Why are you yelling? Paul is having to be loud to wake them up, to show them the urgency of the situation. The gospel is on the line, and so people's lives are on the line. He is emphasizing the important and necessary themes of the gospel. Paul is saying, I'm going to highlight again gospel principles that you cannot and must not neglect. These principles really summarize what Paul has been already saying throughout the whole letter, but now they are condensed into a few verses. How are we to fight to the end for the gospel? We're to do that if we keep in mind these gospel principles. So number one, you can follow along in your bulletin if that is helpful this morning. How are we going to fight for the gospel to the end? It's through these gospel principles. First, beware of those who boast in the flesh. Beware of those who boast in the flesh. There is something that happens in a young man when a young lady catches his eye. It seems to be fairly prevalent in Western cultures. I don't know about other cultures, but I would say in Western culture, this is a normal thing. The young man wants to impress the young lady. Whatever it is that he's doing, he could be doing the most mundane task ever. And he wants her to notice him. He wants her to look cool, smooth, impressive. He wants her to sit up and take notice and say, wow, that guy is really something special. That's the problem, however, Paul says in the church of Galatia. False teachers had crept into the church and they wanted to look impressive. And Paul warns that this desire and this tendency is dangerous in the church. These false teachers, it says, wanted to make a good showing in the flesh. They wanted their ministry to be impressive, to make other people say, wow, look at all that they have accomplished. Look at how they influenced so many people. They have had so much success. But look at what it says here. What does Paul say? They want to make a good showing where? In the flesh. Paul has already been contrasting the flesh and the spirit. The flesh, those sinful desires, that sinful heart that wants to go away from God, that wants to be against God, that does not want to have anything to do with God. The good showing in the flesh here draws us to a dangerous trap that's been set that can destroy the gospel because it is the exaltation of the external. And how deadly it is if the gospel is reduced to just the external, to merely what you do or don't do in order to establish your own righteousness. 
if you want to make a good showing in the flesh, it means that you are devoid of the Spirit. That's the problem with these false teachers. Because they wanted to make a good showing in the flesh, it was a demonstration they didn't have the Spirit of God. And so these false teachers are advocating for external religion. How would they impress people? How would they make this good showing? They would force the Galatians to be circumcised. They they would compel the Galatians and say, if you really want to be right with God, you have to be circumcised. If you really want to be righteous, you have to take this mark upon your body. Then you will be saved. And then they would be able to boast in their external ministry. How many people do you circumcise this year? We had a hundred circumcisions. Wow, praise God. You must really be doing something right. God really must be blessing you. Tell me, what's your secret? Easy. We force all the people to be circumcised. I don't know about you, but that's not a trophy that you would want on your mantle, I don't think. But that's what they did. They made it all about the external. And how easy it is to make it all about what looks good on the outside. We make the gospel easy. We water it down. We make it about rituals or rites or some external experience or some external action. And we like the external because it's something that we can measure. It's something that we can hold on to. We can put it into statistics. We can see it and touch it and hold it up for others to marvel at and say, look at what we have done. Look at what we have accomplished. And that's all that the church is for some. They focus on the externals. They focus on what feeds their flesh, their earthly appetites, their own egos and preferences. And they never give a second thought about the internal. In fact, they have completely inverted Christianity. Christianity works from the inside out. But they've completely cut out the inside and made it all about the outside. This is the danger, not just of false teachers, but of any who want to merely make the gospel about the external. Do you remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees and scribes in Mark 7? He says this, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips. You hear that? These people honors me with their lips. It sounds good. What they're saying, it sounds pleasing to the ears. This people honors me with their lips, but what? But their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. The gospel does not begin and end with the external. It starts with the internal, with the heart. This is where faith and repentance begin. So where is your focus this morning? Where is our focus? Beware of focusing on outward appearance. Why do you do what you do in the Christian life? 
Do you do what you do for the appearance of godliness? Paul warns us of those who would have the appearance of godliness but deny its power in 2 Timothy 3.5. Why do you walk through the doors of the church on Sunday morning? Are you doing it from a heart that is for God? Are you doing it because you are aware of what He thinks and what He desires? Or are you doing it for others? What they will think. How they will notice. How they will praise you. If you are doing things for the external, to be praised by other people, you might impress them, but you will not impress God. And here is an important point for our understanding. An external religion is enslaved and ensnared in the fear of man. You become more fearful of what man thinks, of what man wants, of making sure that you are pleasing people, trying to keep up appearances so that people think well of you, so that the influence that you have by your impressive external behavior will not be tarnished. You cannot fear God and man. doesn't work. And we see just how much the fear of man is embedded in the hearts of these false teachers. Why did they want to have a good showing in the flesh by forcing the Galatians to be circumcised? You see what it says there? Why did they do all of this? In order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For the purpose of escaping the persecution that came with proclaiming the cross of Jesus Christ. Persecution will come when you proclaim the cross. And persecution comes because the cross is scandalous. People don't want to hear about the cross of Jesus because it gets to the heart of who you truly are Man wants to naturally hear about how good he is, about how he has something in himself that is good and acceptable and pleasing in God's sight. Man wants to hear about how he has the ability to progress and make something of himself that you can get ahead in life. Man wants to hear about how he is really good deep down on the inside, but this is not what blares from the cross. Rather, the cross of Jesus Christ is like a megaphone that is blaring out all of your sin, blaring out the Mount Everest of your stinky, smelly, horrifying, ugly, treasonous sin for the whole world to hear. The cross does not start by telling you how good you are. The cross exposes you and tells everyone how bad they are. How bad are you? So bad that the Son of God had to leave the throne room of heaven. The perfect Son had to leave perfect fellowship with the Father. He left glory 
to come down to a broken and fallen world, to live the life that I should have lived, perfect, blameless, and with no sin whatsoever. And yet he died. He was nailed to that wooden tree. He bore the curse that I deserved. He took all of my sin upon himself. He experienced the wrath and the punishment and judgment of God that I deserved. It was there at the foot of the cross that you and I are exposed and laid completely bare and everyone sees the depths of your black and dirty sinful heart. That is where everyone starts with the cross. And if you've never been there, this is where you must start. You can't hide from the cross. And it doesn't feel good. We don't like to hear that. Yes, and these false teachers, they didn't like to hear it either. And so their idea for the way of salvation said that the cross of Jesus Christ was not sufficient to save you. They were saying, you need something else. The cross isn't enough. And so what did they have to do? They had to supplement the cross. You need the cross and circumcision in order for you to be saved. But what do you do when you, when you supplement something? What they did, they supplemented the cross, and it means that they supplanted the gospel. They uprooted the gospel. The gospel became nothing and meaningless. The cross of Christ became nothing and meaningless. Why did Christ have to die if you can save yourself? And in changing the gospel, it becomes no gospel at all. And so they were able to escape the persecution that comes with preaching the cross of Jesus. And let us not think that this problem just existed back in Paul's day. Why would we descend into external religion? Why do we descend into doing things for show? Why would we focus on impressing others in the flesh? Why would we make the gospel purely external? Why would we remove the scandal of the cross and tickle people's ears and lie by saying how good and how great and how righteous they are? Because we would rather have a safe Christianity than a real Christianity. And if you have a safe Christianity, you have no Christianity at all. How awful to distort the message in order to avoid persecution, to remove the cross of Christ for your own comfort, but that is only temporal, earthly comfort. It brings no comfort to your soul. Paul then in verse 13 gives the reason why this focus on, ex on external, why this works-based righteousness is so dangerous. Because even those who are circumcised do not keep the law. Paul has already told us, if you are circumcised, then you're obligated. You have to keep the whole law. And Paul now says, even those people who are circumcised and are trying to force this circumcision on you, they don't even keep the whole law. They can't even do it. 
Why do they not keep the whole law? Because first, they cannot keep the whole law. Romans 1, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. The law was not meant to reveal your righteousness. The law was meant to show you your sinfulness so that you would run to Jesus Christ. But there's another reason why they do not keep the law. It's because of their own pride. They are puffed up in themselves because of what other people do. Do you see that there? But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They want to take credit, Galatians, for what you do. They want to say, look what I have done. This pride is the same thing that Jesus warns about in Matthew 23, about the Pharisees when he says this, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The false teachers were using and abusing the Galatians and bringing the souls of the Galatians into danger of eternal destruction. These false teachers were not wanting to make a good showing even in their own flesh, but it was in the flesh of others. It was what other people did that they wanted to take credit for, as if they had accomplished it on their own, so they could have something worthy of recognition. This isn't loving the church. This isn't cherishing the church. This is church abuse. It is using the church for what you can get out of it, how it might benefit you, how it might stroke your own ego, puff you up with pride. It's mutilating the church and it's murdering the church. And so we see how this position of boasting in the flesh is completely against the gospel. It is not a gospel-centered church then. It is an anti-gospel church. And an anti-gospel church is no church at all. What you boast in matters. So what should we boast in? Number two. Boldly boast in the cross. Boldly boast in the cross. Paul says, beware of those who would boast in the flesh. But now he says, there is something to boast in. There's something good that you can boast in. This idea of boasting is rejoicing or exulting or glorying in something. And now Paul gives us this shocking statement. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Paul says his boasting is exclusive. There is only one thing he boasts in and that is in the cross of our Lord. Crucifixion was a taboo topic in the Roman culture. It was so horrendous, so awful, that it was not considered polite or appropriate to talk about it. It's one of those things you just didn't bring up. Don't bring up crucifixion. It's too scandalous. So why does Paul say that he boasts in the cross alone? Because the cross of Jesus Christ is, salva is sufficient for salvation. 
It is there that Jesus saved sinners. It is in the cross where salvation is assigned to the Lord, and it's there that He is proclaimed the Savior, the Redeemer, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul rejoices in the cross, not only because it exposes us, but because it saves us and it restores us. What is there displayed at the cross? It is there that you see the immense love of God. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There the love of God is displayed like it's never displayed anywhere else. You want to know the love of God? Go to the cross. Not only do you know the love of God, you also know the love of Christ. Paul has said this in Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who did what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. So not only does it show the immensity of God's love, it also shows the immensity of Christ's love to you. That he would give himself. And this love of God and this love of Christ is displayed because there is the death of sin on the cross. Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. How? By the death of himself. He died to remove sin. He died to take your sin away. He died to forgive you of your sin. He died to deal with your sin. So we boast in the cross of Christ because it's there not only do we recognize that we're sinners, but it's there that we also recognize that that's where we're forgiven. That's where the burden of our sin has been taken off of our backs. That is where the grace and the mercy and the love of God is placed upon us. The external act of circumcision was about human obedience and, and uh, human obedience to make one acceptable in the sight of God. But the work of the cross is about Christ's obedience and sacrifice on our behalf so that we could be found acceptable in the sight of God. We need a mediator between us and God, and our mediator is no one other than Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Lord. And so we then should follow Paul and say, we will boast all the more in the cross of Jesus Christ. We will preach, we will proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and the world will say that is foolishness, that is folly, that is ridiculous, that is absurd. And so how do we do it? How are you going to boast in the cross? How are you boldly going to boast in the cross? Well, maybe this is a given, but it's going to happen through words. You're going to have to say something. You're going to have to open your mouth and you're going to have to speak truth to people. You're going to have to say, this is who the Bible, this is who God says that you are. This is your desperate need. This is you and me and everyone, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For there is no one righteous, not even one. And so we show them their great need. Then we tell them. We tell them about the great truth of Jesus Christ. But you don't have to stay there. 
You don't have to stay dead in your trespasses and sin because Jesus came. And Jesus came to take away all of your sin. Jesus came to live the life you should have lived, to die the death that you deserve to die. He took the curse that was upon you on himself so that you could know the blessing, the eternal blessing of eternal life. Jesus can make you whole. Jesus can save you. Jesus is the only one who can do for you what you can never do for yourself. Not only did he die, he rose again from the dead, victorious, showing that his sacrifice for sin was sufficient to forgive and atone for every sin that we would commit for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the call. Then we say, so come, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus to be forgiven. Come to Jesus to know eternal life. Come to Jesus to have the brokenness of your life restored. Come to Jesus to know joy. Come to Jesus not because life is going to automatically be easier, but because there is hope. Because there is hope beyond the grave. Because there is hope to become like Jesus. Until that day where we breathe our last breath or Jesus comes to take us home. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Take us home. Boast in the cross with words. Boast in the cross by the way you live your life. People see it. Do people see the genuineness of your faith? How could they see that genuineness of your faith? Peter talks about that, doesn't he? In 1 Peter. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, how do you boast in the cross? By rejoicing in the various trials that you go through in life. Because it's there that the tested genuineness of your faith is seen and put on display for others to see. And it's there that then when Christ returns, it will be to his praise and his honor and his glory. Because you didn't boast in yourself to get you through those times. You boasted in Christ to get you through those times. So boast with your words, boast with your life, boast with everything that you are in the cross of our Lord. Why did, why did Paul boast exclusively in the cross? He says there, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world.
the world, the realm where sin and law and evil and death reign, these no longer had control or power over him. They had no say in his life. The world could not have any power or authority over Paul. It could no longer beat him up as, his, as their slave. And having the world crucified to Paul also means that Paul no longer needed the world in order to look to it for a source of life. The world had nothing to offer. All that once sparkled and shined and appealed to his flesh no longer held sway over his flesh. He could expose the world's lie that promised fulfillment and satisfaction. With the cross of Jesus Christ, the world had died to Paul and Paul to the world. Now he lived for the Lord. And he boasted all the more boldly because neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. The external marker or the lack of that external marker on the body is not what God looks at. It no longer makes a difference when you stand before God. What is it that matters if you are a new creation? This is what happened at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He inaugurated the new creation through his death and resurrection. And how do we know this new creation has come? Because the Holy Spirit has come now and indwells believers. We are made new. We are given a new heart. We are born again. We are born of the Spirit of the living God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And how does this new creation in us happen? It happens through God reconciling the world to himself. And how does God reconcile the world to himself? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. Through him who for our sake was made to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's who we are. We are new creations. And now Paul moves from who we are to how we must live, from the indicative to the imperative. Moves from the who's to the do's. Who are we? We are new creations. What are we to do? Well, it says here, right, doesn't it? All who walk by this rule. The word rule there is a standard. We're living to a certain expectation. If we are a new creation, there must be a certain way that we live. In fact, walk by this rule reminds us of what Paul has already said in 5.16 where he says, walk by the Spirit. Or what he says in 5.25, keep in step with the Spirit. Those who walk by this rule are those who walk by the Spirit, the sign that you are a new creation. So the question becomes, what is this rule? It is the rule of the cross of Jesus Christ. It means you will walk by denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, and following Christ, following in his footsteps of suffering unjustly. It means losing your life for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel, 
so that your life would be saved. It means that you will die to yourself again and again and again. It means boasting in your tribulations and in your hardship and in your weakness and in humiliation when the world proclaims that you are a fool. When you hear that, when you hear the, the rule of the cross of Christ, that it entails all of those things, what do you say? I don't know if I want to walk by that rule. It's scary. It's difficult. It sounds hard. But look at what Paul says, my friend. When you walk by this rule, what is upon you? The mercy and peace of God. It's divine peace and mercy that comes to you from God himself. Do not be discouraged to walk by this rule because it's there that you will know God's peace and God's mercy. If you do not walk by this rule, you will not know God's peace and you will not know God's mercy. And then look at what Paul says here at the end of verse 16. And upon the Israel of God. Who is this? Who is this Israel of God that Paul is talking about here at the end of verse 16? Well, there are two options. The first option, Paul is referring to ethnic Israel. Uh, in this understanding, this, uh, there's two groups then, right? There's those who walk by this rule, and there's the Israel of God. And so that Israel of God, then some say, would be ethnic Israel. And the strength of this position is that Paul rarely uses that term Israel figuratively. He rarely uses it figuratively. Most of the time when Paul refers to Israel, he refers to ethnic Israel. So then sometimes some even say that this position is split into two blessings. You have that the peace of God would be upon those who walk by this rule and that the mercy would be upon the Israel of God. Some parse the verse that way. But remember, you have two distinct groups, those who walk by this rule, and then you have the Israel of God. That's one position. The other position is that Paul is referring to one group. So it could read, peace be upon all who walk by this rule, namely, or even, the Israel of God. So then, Paul is calling all who walk by this rule, the Israel of God. The strength of this position is the context and the text of the book of Galatians. So, which position is correct? Is Paul talking about two different groups of people, or is he talking about one group of people? Are you with me? Well, first, let's say this. Orthodoxy does not hang in the balance upon which position you choose. Whichever way you go, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And this is nothing that should cause division in the church. You can hold either position. It doesn't affect our covenanting, our worshiping together as a church. I read this verse to be the second of the two options. That Paul is saying, those who walk by this rule of faith are the true Israel of God. And if we look at this verse, it cannot be determined by the syntax of the verse. The syntax could go either way. It doesn't give us a definitive answer. 
And so I think we have to take into account the whole book of Galatians. In fact, what has Paul just said? Paul has just said, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. This is the historic dividing line that is between the two people. And now Paul has said that dividing line isn't there anymore. That dividing line, that physical marker has been done away with. And so it seems odd to me for Paul to take down that marker and then in the next sentence to put it back up again. But what else? Paul has also said in the book of Galatians, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Who are Abraham's offspring? All of those who believe, all of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. He says, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. He has said, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Similarly, Paul says in Philippians 3.3, he says, for we, we believers, are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Does this mean I think there's no future for ethnic Israel? No. You can read Romans 9 through 11. I believe there talk specifically about the future of ethnic Israel. I just think the evidence and the context here in Galatians 6 points us to a greater reality. The true Israel of God is seen in the whole believing community of the church. But let's come together for a moment. And again, think, whichever position, whether it's one group or two groups, Let's affirm something together. How we pray and how we desire all people to know the peace and the mercy of God. doesn't matter if it's two groups or one because we want everyone to know God's peace and God's mercy. We want everyone to receive that blessing. We want all to know Christ. We want all to believe. And so we boast with all of the boldness that we can muster in the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord, so that others might have the old pass away and might become new creations clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. All right, last point this morning. Number three, bear the brand of Jesus. Bear the brand of Jesus. We know brands. I'm not talking about brands like Nike or Adidas. This kind of brand that we're talking about is like the brand that you would put on the side of a cow. You brand that cow. Mark out that cow as belonging to a certain herd. There is that hot iron being lifted out of the fire and pressed into the hide, leaving a permanent scar. It was actually a practice used in Paul's day for slaves, either branding, sometimes a tattoo, a mark showing that one was in service to another. These false teachers were causing Paul trouble. The distortion of the gospel troubled him. Their denial of the cross was an attack on Christ and on the very work of redemption brought about by God. No one could cause him trouble because he bore the mark, the marks of Jesus on his body. This was no branding. This was no tattoo. The marks which showed Paul's servitude to Christ came in a different fashion. It came through persecution. Whether it was scars from receiving 39 lashes 
whether it was scars from being beaten by rods, whether it was the scars of being stoned, like he was in the city of Lystra, a city in Galatia. These were the scars of Jesus that he bore on his body. These were the marks that he received for for preaching Christ and him crucified. Do you want to be gospel-centered? Do you want to preach Christ and him crucified? Do you want to take up your cross? Be prepared to bear the marks of Jesus. But these marks are nothing to be ashamed of. These marks show your allegiance, your devotion, and your service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are not self-made marks. They are divinely appointed and divinely applied marks upon your body. And we cannot miss the dig that Paul makes at those who are forcing the Galatians to be circumcised. Because here is what Paul is saying in short when he says this verse. Verse 17, he's saying to the false teachers, you want to brag about something? You want identity markers? I'll give you identity markers. Look at these scars. Look at the scars upon my back. Look about the scars upon my head. Look at the persecution. Look at the suffering. Get a good look at the pain that I experienced for each of these. I'm branded for Jesus. I belong to him. These are not marks I have made upon myself. These are marks that were graciously given to me by the Lord. Become like me. It is worth it. It is worth it. Are those the marks that we're willing to bear to show our service to Jesus Christ? Not to escape persecution for a safe form of Christianity, but we being willing to bear the marks of Jesus on our own bodies to show our allegiance to him. And what better way could Paul end his letter than by emphasizing grace? From beginning to end, we cannot escape grace. We are those called in the grace of Christ. And now Paul blesses them with God's grace. He's been saying this throughout the whole letter. Your salvation is undeserved. You have done nothing to earn it or merit it. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is grace, God's grace in your life. You begin with grace. You continue in God's grace. And you never will outrun your need for God's grace. For by grace you have been saved. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast in the presence of God? Have you known your poverty so that you could then know the exceeding riches of God's grace in your life? Have you been so hungry that now you've come to know the delicacies of his grace that you only ever want more and more and more grace? You can't get enough of it. God has given his marvelous, infinite, matchless grace so that he might be glorified now and forevermore. This is the gospel that we fight for. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. And may we cling to this grace. 
see what grace has done in our lives. How it has worked and changed, grown us, molded us. Brought us to our knees. But also brought us up from the dead. Made us new creations. Father, I pray that we would fight to the gospel till our dying breath because we're fighting for the truth. We're fighting for what brings salvation to people's hearts and lives. We're fighting ultimately for what honors you and glorifies you. So, Father, I pray that we would boast in the cross all the more boldly. And that we would say whatever comes our way because of our boast, whether it's trials, tribulations, troubles, persecution, that we would say it's worth it for Christ. Let us not think that the Christian walk is not a cross-shaped life. But may we willingly accept that life as we follow after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this all in the name of our Savior. Amen.